From Good Travel and New Zealand Awakes, we're Josie Major and Debbie Clark. Welcome to Good Awakes, the Regenerative Tourism New Zealand podcast. Under the shadow of the global pandemic and climate crisis, tourism is facing enormous uncertainty and returning to business as usual is no longer an option. Our people and planet are relying on us to reconnect and reimagine. The Good Awaits podcast is a platform for the collective discovery of a new way forward. It's great to have you join us on this journey. called Debbie Tokoingoa. I'm Debbie Clark, founder and owner of New Zealand Awaits. Kia ora, called Josie Tokoingoa. I'm Josie Major, New Zealand Programs Manager for Good Travel. Welcome back to the podcast. This is our last episode, episode 10 of the first season of Good Awaits. Today we are thrilled to welcome onto the podcast Leanne Jago. Leanne has 20 years' experience in guiding, instructing, and managing adventure tourism enterprises, and has also competed in Waka Ama at both national and international levels. Waka Able Tasman is owned and operated by Leanne and her husband Todd, offering Waka experiences in the Able Tasman within a cultural framework of Māori tikanga and worldview. Waka Able Tasman is the first Waka business in Aotearoa to be externally audited under Adventure Activities Regulations 2016 and is a certified adventure company. Leanne and Todd's community is at the heart of everything they do and they are passionate about uplifting their community. This came through loud and clear in the conversation we had with Leanne and we think that our listeners will get a lot out of this episode. So we hope you find this last episode of Awaits season one, enlivening, and that it sparks conversations for you and your community. We invite you to consciously listen and to engage with what resonates with you. Kia ora, Leanne. Welcome on to the Good Awaits podcast. Oh, kia ora koutou. Um, ko le, Leanne Jago uh, tōku ingoa. He uri ahau nō Ngāti Mahuta uh, Raukawa hoki. Uh, e noho ana mātou ki tōku, uh, i tōku whānau ki te tau ihu o te waka a Māori. Um, so kia ora everyone. My name's Leanne Jago. Um, my tribal groups are Ngāti Mahuta and Raukawa. They're both tribal groups in the North Island. I live in the top of the south with my husband and we have a small business called Waka Able Tasman. Kia ora Leanne, great to have you here. Thanks so much. So tell us about your first memorable travel experience Leanne and why that was memorable for you. Oh yes, that, um, I read that question actually just a pre-interview and I was like oh what was that and actually <laughs> What came to mind was a family holiday. Um, I was brought up in the North Island in a little town called Matamata, which is known as Hobbiton uh, now. Um, and my family and I, well, my sister and myself, my old, old my next oldest sister, who's um, uh, five years older than me, and my mum and dad went for a trip around the South Island. And the things that I remember from that trip, I was eight years old, it was all about the food, all about the food. So I remember uh, going across the Cook Strait on the ferry, and it was very 
exciting being on the Cook Strait, uh, going from Wellington over to Picton. Um, but I remember eating a pie and um, actually eating the middle out of the pie, the mince, and saving the pastry. And then I went to the toilet and the um, the waiter took the pie. And so that was, um, you know, a really traumatic experience for me as an eight-year-old that I was saving the pastry and then the pastry <laughs> gone. And so that was, oh. that was one um, uh, memory. Amazing. I love those little details that stick with you. That's so funny. Obviously, the pie was quite traumatic. (laughs) Very traumatic. And, you know, um, food is a really big part of traveling. Well, you know, for me, and and I think it still is, you know, and and how people treat us as well. But, you know, for for me as an eight-year-old, that food um, part of the experience was, was the kicker really the thing that really stuck a, stuck in there 40 years later whatever <laughs> amazing so how did you end up working in the tourism industry Leanne um I actually when I was at high school in Matamata um I was in got to seventh form which is the last year at high school and I wasn't really enjoying it um and at that point Kiwi Host was a bit of a thing in New Zealand uh, lots of people were doing Kiwi Host courses so I did one of those courses and um I knew the instructor from when I was younger um I used to swim competitively so she was uh, involved with a a swimming squad and she said how about getting into retail or something like that customer service and and I was like yeah I'm open to anything I I really didn't have any um, strong direction if you like um, at that age all I knew was that I loved people and I wanted to be working with people whatever that would be and so she she was like oh how about retail and then uh, I was like yeah that could be good be good and then she was on the public relations association for Matamata and there was a position that came up and she contacted me and she said I think that you'd be great for this position it's the assistant public relations officer for Matamata and so I left school and I started working at the information center so um Um, Really, I've been in tourism all of my working life um, from the Information Centre in Matamata. That's actually a pretty beautiful looking building these days, looking like um, a hobbit house. Uh, And and so I was there for uh, over two years and then I went travelling and then I spent the next sort of three or four years travelling through Europe, um, doing what lots of Kiwis do. I took the road less traveled I suppose I didn't um, travel with lots of Kiwis I actually traveled on my own and I biked a lot um, and I you know I worked uh, and I, I worked in a lot of organic uh, farms and things like that during my travels so really opened up my mind to how things could be done differently um, and and how things have been done in the past and how we can bring those things into our present time so then I got back to New Zealand and I, I went down to Dunedin actually and did a little stint at uh, Otago University um, studying psychology and Māori um, but decided actually that wasn't the right pathway and I ended up 
and the top of the south. So from that um, experience in Dunedin, it got cold and I came up to walk the Abel Tasman and I thought that I'd found paradise. Mm -hmm. So the following year, I was living here just out of Motueka in a community called Riverside Community. And just down the road from that community, there's an outdoor pursuit centre called Whenua Iti. So I trained to become an outdoor guide um, and instructor and so I did a course there, and then at the end of that a year, um, I was sea kite guiding in the Abel Tasman in the summer, and then and outdoor instructing in the winter months, and mainly working with young people and uh, women. Uh, doing courses for women and young people. So that was really wonderful. And I did that for a number of years. And then I did a commerce degree. And so I started weaving it all together. Um, I completed my commerce degree and, and worked for Naitahu Tourism. Um, they had bought a number of sea kite companies in the Abel Tasman. And so I managed their group of kite companies. Um, and then um, four or five years after that, uh, Adia, my my daughter was born and she's just coming up 11 next month. Um, so I left and uh, had Aria and uh, just over a year later, our next daughter, Awatia, was born. So I just really embraced being a mum and loved being at home. Um, and when they were, when Aria was about, oh, five, around that time, five and a half, um, we started our business, Waka Abel Tasman. So um, at that point, I was homeschooling um, both of our girls and um, starting our business. And then the business reached a point where the girls actually started school. And um, and then I was working um, in Waka Abel Tasman while my husband was teaching adventure tourism at Nelson Polytech um, or NMIT, Nelson Marlborough Institute of Technology. Um, and so for the first year, he was I worked there 80% of the time and then a couple of years later it dropped down to 50% and then a few years ago um, he was full-time in Waka Abel Tasman too and we have um, a few other people that join us from time to time when we're busy um, but we really we run a small family um, business in the, in the Abel Tasman. Yeah. It's great. Thanks for that story. It's lovely to hear how people end up where they are. Where they are. So talk to us about your business. There's probably a lot of listeners who don't know what Waka is. So start by explaining that. And also your business is unique in terms of the connection to community and to our Māori. So if you can talk about how that developed and why that's important to you as well. Yeah. So um, both my husband and I are of Māori descent and both of us uh, grew up not being terribly connected to our culture. So we knew that we uh, both had Māori whakapapa, um, that's uh, Māori genealogy, um, but we grew up very much in uh, Pākehā or Western way um, in our upbringing. So that uh, for both of us on our separate duties at that point um, became something that we wanted to connect with. We wanted to connect with the knowledge from our ancestors, our language, our tikanga, how, how things are done. So um, Todd was on his journey in that and I was on mine and when we met, um, we connected, we worked out that we were from um, the same tribal group um, very quickly and so that was our first um, strong connection and so 
um, as we journeyed together, we were both uh, learning our language, learning our customs. And then when our children arrived, we really wanted to be bringing them up uh, differently to how we were brought up. So connected with uh, Te Ao Māori, our, our tikanga, our language, um, and how things are done. So um, that's our little uh, little journey with our connection to the Māori culture, um, which is very deep for us. And so when we started our business, well, actually prior to starting our business, we were both involved in starting the Waka Ama Club in our area. So Waka is the Māori name for canoe. Ama is outrigger. So waka ama simply means outrigger canoe. Um, it's the largest sport in the Pacific um, and the fastest growing sport in New Zealand in Aotearoa. And the most, the um, and it is the sport with the highest number of Māori and Pacifica paddlers. And so um, in, in uh, islands like Tahiti, um, Hawaii, Rarotonga, it's the national sport. So um, for Aotearoa, it's it's a really big sport for Pacifica and Māori people. So we started our club here in oh, early 2000s. Oh, late 19, 1997 it really started and I came on the scene in 1998. Um, we didn't have a waka. Uh, there was only one waka in the top of the south and that was in Picton. So we would drive to an hour and a half to go and um, train on that waka. So we'd go um, to Picton for the weekends and train and then race in other places. So now our club has um, five six-man waka, a three-man waka, two two-mans and some one-man waka. And so um, we've got uh, a number of waka. Our, um, so that's the picture of our club. And so we race, and both, both my husband and I have raced uh, both nationally and internationally. Um, and we, we uh, have both of us have... Uh, history working in adventure tourism. So my husband, he has worked in tourism also from the age of 18. He was the first sea kayak guide in the Abel Tasman working for his uh, cousins, um, who's Ian and Jan Trafford, who started um, one of the first sea kayak companies, which was um, called Ocean River. And it started the same time as another company um, called Abel Tasman Kayak. So he was a sea kayak guide then and a raft guide. And then the last 20 or so years, he's been teaching adventure tourism. So we're really linked in with the adventure tourism industry, particularly in the top of the South, um, but also nationally. Um, so the story of our business um, and, you know, with our, our passion for Waka, and we call we we called our business Waka rather than Waka Ama because we we operate double hull Waka, and so we also want to, to um, have the space open just in case we want to have sailing Waka or we want to bring in Waka Ama or different types of Waka. So um, our ancestors sailed the Pacific um, prior to New Zealand being discovered. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For our listeners, for our listeners, Leanne did quote marks with her fingers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when she said discovered. 
Right. <laughs> and so um, we wanted to have the space open for any kind of waka that we wanted to uh, choose to uh, use in, in our business in this area. So um, in 2016, the New Zealand government announced a change in regulations uh, around the adventure tourism industry. Um, there had been some fatalities in the adventure tourism industry, which was very concerning for our whole industry. And so there was a review looking at um, how we do things in our country. So our country has a very high standard around safety uh, for people. And um, we're very proud of that in the adventure tourism industry. So the government brought in some um, more regulations to make sure that standard is kept as high as possible. Um, and one of those um, was a regulation that said if you're doing any outdoor activity and people are giving you um, anything in return and that can be just a donation you need to have your activity externally audited by an adventure um, uh, uh, company that, that, uh, that audits adventure companies yeah, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, um, so our both Todd and I and um, some of our friends that paddle that um, were also sea kite guides and raft guides, we would do things um, with our club. So we would take people out in our club walker and they would give us some money, you know, and we didn't charge very much. We often leave that really open. It's called a koha. People just give what they like. And so we would have um, some classes coming, some community groups, that kind of thing. Um, but with the new government regulations that were announced in 2016, uh, 2015, coming in in 2016, we wouldn't be able to do that legally. So um, that was the point where both Todd and I thought we love what we do. We love to be able to share waka and the Māori culture with our community. And um, so we thought, well, we either open, we, we create something a little bit more formal. We create a business and um, we get audited and we have public liability insurance and we have um, a, a formal way of welcoming people in um, to experience waka or we don't do anything at all. People have to join our club to experience waka. So we decided that we would just see whether it could be possible, um, whether there were concessions uh, to operate in the Able Tasman National Park for the listeners that are listening from other countries. For businesses to operate in any national park in New Zealand, you have to have a concession to operate that Department of Conservation has given. And there's only a limited number of those concessions and you have to operate in a particular way. You have to have uh, a certificate for safety and you have to have public liability insurance and it's quite hard to get these concessions now they're under they're in demand um, and they don't just give them out willy-nilly so so we looked to see whether there was any concessions available and there was concessions to operate to waka in the Abel Tasman National Park which is kind of like this dream come true it's like what nobody owns these concessions and it's for two waka that's 
they're for us. And so we applied for them and um, and we got them. And then we asked the Kaiteriteri Recreation Reserve Board if uh, they also, it is a Kaiteriteri is one of the entrances for the Abel Tasman National Park and it's a wonderful place to operate from because it's a beautiful bay, it's not tidal, people come to Kaiteriteri on holiday and it's a beautiful destination to start your experience into the Abel Tasman National Park. So we got permission to operate our experience from there also um, and again they don't let anybody um, just start up businesses there. They There's um, two kayak companies that operate from there, some sea shuttles are operating um, trips into the Abel Tasman National Park um, and a couple of other operators, a sailing adventure. And so we uh, were able to join that mix. So um, we felt very... Wow, we were over the moon actually that we could operate from Kaiteriteri and there, and we had concessions to operate out of the Abel Tasman too. So that was um, the start of our journey. So from that point, we decided yes, we're going to do it, um, and we we opened a company formally um, called Waka Abel Tasman. And we, um, and then we wrote up our safety operational plans, and we were the first business of our kind to go through those new regulations. So we had to um, steer the way, really, and educate our auditors about us, and let them know who who would have the skills in Aotearoa New Zealand to audit us. And now we give advice to others. And um, my husband Todd is one of the auditors, and so we really. Our, now our big picture goals are around our business and, and also Waka in Aotearoa. I'll just chat a little bit about that. So um, our business, we started uh, with our community at the heart of what we do. So that was always the beginning. And so getting people from our local community onto the water, kids, community groups, people with disabilities, older people, um, people that uh, wouldn't normally, I suppose, interact with the um, our beautiful coastline. Um, we really love getting those people on the water as well as everyone else. So, But those people are really at the heart of what we do. So that's how our business started. And because both my husband and I have got a history in adventure tourism and a lot of contacts, we thought, let's open this up to people that are traveling in Aotearoa as well and coming to the top of the south and into the Abel Tasman area. Um, we know that people are coming to New Zealand. They want to interact with the Māori culture, but often find it quite hard to find ways to do that. There are some places like Rotorua that's very uh, very well known for um, cultural activities, but for other areas, people travelling in other areas, it's quite difficult. So we decided let's um, let's just make this activity available for people. And so we run a little trip that starts at nine o'clock in the morning, finishes at twelve, and it goes along the coastline to a place called Tuka Nafa. And people would know that place as Split Apple Rock. So as we travel along the coastline, we give the stories, the Māori stories of the area and help people connect in a 
deeper way. And our experience is held in Tikanga Māori, so it's a holistic experience. It's not just a physical experience, but it's a it's a spiritual and emotional experience. It's a we paddle double hull waka, so our waka can't capsize, and so people can feel very very safe when they're paddling along, and also feel the collective power. So we want people to feel the strength of others when we paddle along our beautiful, beautiful waters. Um, And it's our intention or our goal that people understand that we're strong together. We're strong when we support each other. We're not strong when we're all by ourselves. And so there's sort of a bigger picture around these multiple connections when people come with us. So, um, so we we offered the experience to tourism and our experience it caters for families with young children. So families with young children can't go in a kayak because the kayak companies take a minimum age of eight and we take really small people, like really small people. Um, a year and a half, two years, wow. and we have little paddles, little life jackets, little seats, you know, they can go right next to their mum or their dad, So, and right through to the grandparents. So older people, they can come, and we've even had trips where we've had three and four generations on the same waka together, which is really special, you know, creating memories together as family groups and sometimes we have older people coming and they don't paddle and it's so wonderful for the rest of their family to paddle their mum or their grandmother or their grandparents um, around and have an experience together. So for us it's, um, it's not just uh, business. Uh, there's a big, big picture around this, and the the people that come and experience what we do uh, from a tourism point of view, they support our community mahi, so our community work. So when a tourist comes, our tour, and and we're very honest about this, they pay more than our school kids and our community groups. And sometimes our community groups don't pay anything because they don't have the money. And so when a tourist comes, we let them know that they're supporting other people in our area get on the water. And also we have a really close connection with our Wakaama Club. So we... When we have bigger groups, we lease Waka from our club. So over the last four or five years, our clubs received about $18,000 from Waka Able Tasman, which goes towards buying new Waka, maintenance, new paddles, gear, helping our young people get to races, paying their membership, paying their for uniforms, um, and and you know, various costs like that. So we are a part of our community. We're linked in with our community. When people come as tourists in our area and they participate on our experience with Waka Abel Tasman, they are supporting this whole um micro uh these micro connections in, in our Ruhi. So they become part of our area. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's so much there in what you talked about. I loved how you talked about um, even though you and your husband were both in tourism already in adventure tourism, your business grew out of what you saw as a, a deep desire to want to continue to offer that Walker experience to people that you couldn't have done otherwise, right? People in the community couldn't have had access to that if you didn't start the business and get the accreditation, the, the safety audit. Yeah. which I think is really inspiring. And then, you know, you raised the point, which is interesting about a price differential. And I know there's been some discussion in New Zealand about that, right? Can we charge visitors more? So I'm curious to hear just a little bit more about that as well. And really what your uh, visitors' responses when you let them know, you're transparent, you let them know that they're paying more than locals, because I think yeah. that's a concern for some tour operators, right? Yeah, I, you know, it is a concern for some tour operators, but it's never been a concern for us. So we um, are really upfront um, to both ends of the spectrum, actually. So with our school kids and our community groups and our kaumatua, that's um, some older people, um, the Māori name for old people is kaumatua. We have groups of kaumatua come. We never charge our kaumatua. And our school groups, we let them know that we are giving them a really cheap rate um, because other groups pay more and so other groups are subsidizing their experience and those groups are tourism and corporate experiences so corporate cultural education for corporate groups um, also pay more and so by that end of the spectrum um, those groups in our community then can think about tourists in a different way so really appreciate having tourists coming to the area. So these tourists that come and they participate on our experience, um, our local people that participate, that benefit from those tourists, have a different view of those tourists. They're not just a pain, you know, because they're taking up our beach space or they're, you know, driving slow camper vans or they're camping in areas that are our areas or whatever, you know. Um, so we are helping our local community to appreciate what um, tourists can give us here. And when we tell our tourists and corporate groups that actually you pay more, and thank you, because what you're doing is you're allowing our uh, kids and our older people um, and our community groups to experience this. So we really thank you for that. And they appreciate that. They appreciate knowing that um, their dollar has gone towards not only a wonderful experience for themselves and they've received a lot from that experience, but also um, helping our local local kids and local community experience what we do. And so we have only had um, a good feeling. Nobody has ever, ever said to us, we don't like that. And maybe it's because the type of people that come to us, I don't know, but we are very, um, we're upfront and, and we appreciate um, what that extra dollar from tourism um, does, you know, what that gives us. We've been, we've been talking a lot on this, along this journey about how this is kind of a flip for some, for some people in terms of what tourism's about, instead of thinking about 
what does the tourist need and therefore what can our community give to the tourist or what does the tourist take from our community, flipping it upside down and thinking about what does our community need or what can we, how can tourism serve our community better or help our community to thrive. And I think that's kind of what you're, what I'm hearing is this, this want to support your community and help those people get out on the water and tourism is a way to make that happen, right? Yeah, yeah. And it makes sense. You know, it's coming from, I suppose, um, uh, that those connections, you know, that helping the tourists not just to float around on the top, on the surface, but actually get some uh, deeper connections in the uh, the spaces that they're in and um, that they're receiving but also giving. So, yeah, and then the attitude for our locals um, can be uh, one of, feeling thankful that um, we have got tourists coming and and thankful for those interactions. Yeah, so it's, it is, I suppose, it turns it on its head a little bit and it's, it means that the business structure needs to be a little bit different. So what drives our business is these, the things that are in the front and money is not in the front. Money is something that is a mechanism to help us do what we do. So in the front, we've got um, cultural connections, and so connecting with Te Ao Māori. Um, and in the front, we've got our people. So our community is, is again, at the heart. But actually, um, every single person that comes to us, we... We manaki them. So manaki is a Māori word for hospitality, but it's more than hospitality. Mana is something that we all have, and aki is to uplift. So when people come to us, it doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, what they look like, what language they speak, or where they grew up, we manaki them. So mana, everyone has their own mana, and aki is to uplift. So when you come to us, our intention is for you to feel uplifted uh, with us. So that is at the at the um, front of our business, and also kaitiaki tanga. So to be a kaitiaki or tiaki means to look after, and when we add kai in the front, that becomes like a role or a job. Um, and when we add a tanga on the end, I know it's a really long word, kaitiaki. Um, it means to look after. And so we can um, look at that in a number of ways, looking after people, but we often use this word also for um, looking after our environment. And so looking after our environment is um, a big part of what we do. And so the, the experience, as I was saying before, is holistic. So it's about um, connecting with people um, place, waka, um, and it's a whole picture. So there's not, and, and we don't take, we give as well as receive. And so that's with people, but also in our environment. And our footstep is a light one. So it's um, our business model is a sustainable model. We are not just take, take, taking. We are giving. And we're actually trying to give more than we receive, if possible. So that's the intention. So it's a it's a model that isn't a normal 
um, business model. It's a model that is uh, an older way, I suppose, of doing things. You know, really understanding that if we do things in this way and we look after our environment and the people and our communities, then we have longevity. So, for example, in the last year, tourism around the globe has received, you know, a huge blow. Yeah, it's been a really um, a massive event, COVID-19. And for our business, how have we gone during this time? Well, we had 40% of our business came from tourism, international tourism. So that's went and so we didn't have a hundred percent of our business uh, coming from international tourism because remember the heart of what we do is our community so uh, community uh, schools community groups that kind of thing and so we had the international tourists coming and domestic tourism to support that so that 40 percent's gone and we've increased the number of schools now that are interacting with us so cultural education for um, our kids and uh, cultural education for our corporate groups has expanded and also domestic tourism um, New Zealanders traveling around and wanting to uh, connect with the Māori culture and the way that we do it so um, those things have grown and our business has been just fine so it gives an example if you look after your community your community will look after you so as soon as we went into lockdown um, in March last year we had a busy season which we're really thankful for Uh, we went into lockdown and then our local community were getting in touch with us and saying when we uh, can move around again I've got a group of friends that I want to bring with you I've got a school group that I want to bring out with you we've got a group of older people that would like to um, uh, bring them and and have an experience on the water and um, we're doing this because we don't want you to disappear we like what you do we want you to continue to be a part of our community and so when we look after each other in that way we receive that also. So we are, you know, we're looking after our community, but actually they're looking after us. And so I, you know, I would love all businesses to be thinking in this way and not just tourism businesses actually, but all businesses in general, because when we look after each other and the environment, we can be, we can keep going through anything. I was just thinking about, you know, we've been talking about, regenerative tourism and part of that is about this rethinking tourism's purpose what you're describing Leanne is this is a quite a different purpose for tourism than many operators would would say um so I guess there's a question there about what do you think tourism's primary purpose should be going forward if we have this opportunity to to make some changes now and and feel free to speak beyond tourism because you you yeah. spoke about that in terms of businesses too, right? How do we need to change how we're doing business? Is it just it's beyond tourism too? I think. Yeah, I think. Um, well, I I actually would really really like businesses to um, 
take money out of the front of their picture. Money is important, you know, so we do need to create sustainable models for our businesses. And I suppose, you know, be thinking about, you know, what what the goals are around that. Um, so for us, you know, we have all these other goals um, and we when we're... Um, we're running our business and we've got people coming uh, like this afternoon. We've got 40 people coming this afternoon wow. to experience Waka. We're in the middle of winter in New Zealand um, <laughs> and they're a group of scientists and we're really excited to have them with There's 40 of them. Wow. And so, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I suppose getting, having um, money as a, um, mechanism but not being driven by that because if we're driven solely by money um, that's what the focus is and and I believe everything else goes sort of out of kilter or we go off course uh, because we're not thinking about the people and we're not thinking about the environment. They're not at the front. So um, money, yes, is important, um, an important mechanism. For long, you know, so without money, we won't have food on the table. So money is important, and money having um, we if we didn't have money, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. So, yep, um, but not to have that at the front. So have um, other things at the front, and so it is a shift for people. Um, you know, I just if I. I'm being honest, I'll think about how we do things uh, in our little business and I apply those to tourism. So if I think about that um, for tourism in New Zealand, I think about people in our environment at the front and I'm also thinking about um, at the heart of that, the people are our people in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And at the heart of that is our beautiful environment here in Aotearoa. So if I think about that um, and then uh, people coming in, what do I want them to receive and what do I want our community to receive? So I'm thinking about this in exactly the same way as what we do with Waka Abel Tasman. So I I want uh, visitors coming to Aotearoa and feeling the manaki from us as a New Zealanders here. And I want our Kiwis to feel uplifted and to be receiving benefit from our tourists that come. And I want the same for our environment. So we are not driven by money in this country. We're driven by other things. So when people come, they truly have a deep and uplifting experience. And when they interact with our community, our community truly feels uplifted by having tourists come to our country and our environment is benefiting from those tourists as well. So when I think about those things, I also think about a really amazing um, agent, travel agent, 
uh, that we work with here in Wakaevo, Tasman, called Good Travel. <laughs> so when I first met Eliza, she contacted us uh, and she wanted to know a little bit more about our business. And so I told her about our business. And then she told me about Good Travel. And we went, wow, that sounds um, like a great, great match. And so Good Travel, when Good Travel comes to us, uh, they bring van loads of people. So usually around 10 people, 10 or 11 people. We fit 11 people plus our steerer in the waka. So first of all, that is a really great match for us. <laughs> uh, everyone arrives together and everyone ha- is traveling with a similar purpose. So, and that's to have a deeper connection in Aotearoa. So already we've got a couple of good ticks there. And then what happens is good travel pay us uh, for the experience less the commission so good travel get a commission from um, our business and uh, we receive money and so that's wonderful that is wonderful so all those things are wonderful and then what happens is each one of those people pay another $100 each and that $100 each goes to our rangatahi. So our teenagers that paddle in our club, it goes towards their training and so that they can get uniforms and they receive coaching, they can get to races. So it means that those families from those teenagers are benefiting also. The teenagers benefit, the families benefit because there's less financial stress. and the teenager, they come on our trip too. So they meet meet these people and these people get to meet our teenagers. And so they have an interaction. And what I found is the people that come have led from Good Travel that are traveling around um, uh, under the Kurawai or um, with, with Good Travel, they ha- are usually retired and they have led very, very interesting lives and they become quite inspiring for our rangatahi. Our rangatahi are just, our teenagers are just entering, you know, um, the the. Uh, space, I suppose, working out what they're going to do with their lives. And those interactions are really key for them because these um, these people are coming and talking to them and also um, saying, are you Māori? And they say, yes. And they say, wow, you're so lucky. And these teenagers stop and they haven't always felt lucky to be Māori. But these people are telling them that they are lucky and what a wonderful culture they have and what a wonderful environment they live in. And so for these teenagers, some of them are hearing that for the first time and they're going, wow, oh, I am worth something. Oh, my culture is cool. Yes, I live in a beautiful environment. And, you know, and these, so, so there are these wonderful, wonderful interactions that happen at that level. And then what happens after the trip, we have lunch together and 
the people that have come on the trip have not only paid for their trip who and given a hundred dollars donation each have interacted with our teenagers also volunteer a few hours of the rest of their day. And they could be picking up rubbish in the area. They could be helping doing some maintenance on our waka. They are open to anything, planting some trees, doing some weeding, so helping our environment. So for me, good travel is the way forward. Interacting with businesses that have a common purpose. And I talk about good travel all the time. When people are saying to me, what is the picture for tourism in New Zealand? And I say a deeper connection. And I say, um, uh, you know, and I talked about money not being important, but when money comes in like that, to communities, it uplifts us. So it's not um, we're just taking money off the tourists and the tourists get nothing. Um, there is these these deeper connections. So actually, you know, that one conversation on that trip for that teenager could turn the direction of that teenager onto a better pathway, that one connection. And so, you know, when we look at all of those connections and that whole, that bigger picture, that is the way forward. That's how I see tourism uh, in New Zealand. That's so awesome. I love hearing that because, at, you know, at Good Travel, we are so passionate about working with businesses that share our, co-pover share our values and, and, just everything you're saying makes me so happy. <laughs> um, but yeah, but also I love I love how you're showing that there's these this kind of levels of of the this level of connection, right? On the on the level between the interaction with the visitor and the and the rangatahi that are in your community, the level of our businesses working together with shared um, visions, and then that can be applied to a bigger scale as well, right, for Aotearoa and how we see ourselves in the in the industry and how we interact with our visitors. And I just think there's a beautiful vision in that. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, some of the um, most profound things are just so simple, you know, and we can make a difference ourselves and then apply those same values um, to a bigger picture. Yeah. I think that's given our listeners so much to think about. So we just want to thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Kia ora koutou. Uh, such a pleasure. And I just, so just to um, finish up, um, uh, I said a karakia at the start and I just want to um, end that as well um, with a karakia. And um, yeah, so, you know, when we, when we practice our cultural practices, it's not just in our business, it's, you know, in our meetings and in our interactions and in our life. Um, so, namahi nunui kia koro moto moto manaki kia kia mātou e hāpai te kaupapa o tāpoi ki Aotearoa nō reira he karakia a whakamutinga. Te pūte mōre te wei te akaterea, 
Well, listeners, we've come to the harvest segment of our podcast where Josie and I reflect on the highlights and points that our guests have shared with us. So this is the harvest for our last episode in season one, the Good Awaits podcast. And it's really wonderful, Josie, and I think this is a fantastic uh, summary episode, really, of so many of the points that we have been talking about through the previous episodes with our previous guests. Um, You know, for example, how can tourism help communities thrive? How can we foster deep connections to people, place, community, environment, and to other businesses within our own industry? How can we put purpose and passion at the center of how we do business? How can we think of ourselves more as living systems? This is a great example of a living systems, uh, a business that sees themselves as a living system and how important that is in this new VUCA world that we're now living in, that we uh, need to be much more adaptable and resilient. And if we're part of living systems, then we will, um, we will certainly be moving forward in a way that hopefully is more resilient. So it was a great episode with uh, Leanne, wasn't it, Josie? Really enjoyable. Yeah, it was. And I think it's such a perfect one to end on. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, one of the, the things that came through really strongly is something that has become quite central to our conversations, which is this idea of thinking about how can, our, how can tourism help our communities to thrive? And Leanne's business is, is an incredible example of this, right? Their whole business was started as a result of wanting to serve their community and bring worker experiences to their community. And community continues to be at the heart of, of everything that they, that they do. Leanne talked about how they're very honest with tourists that they are paying more so that Waka Able Tasman can also take out komatua from their community or school kids and give them that experience at no or little cost. So I think it's a wonderful example of how this thriving goes both ways. You know, there's this, their business is helping their community to thrive through not just the money that's going into the community, but also the experience that people are having and engaging with their visitors. And it's creating social license for them to operate as well, because the community understand that the tourists are giving back in a genuine way to to them and their community. Yeah. And I think the other point is, you know, we've talked a lot as well throughout these episodes about connections and how important connections are. And so she talked about, um, and connections on different levels too, layers of connection. So she talked about, um, which is what you were just talking about, that mutual exchange, the, the, the connection between the visitor and the host, right? And in her case with the rangatahi, the teenagers. 
that these teens are saying, wow, my culture is so cool. I live in this beautiful place. And they have this new perspective that they wouldn't have had if they hadn't had that experience with the visitor. She also talked about um, the opportunities for families that there's, they're creating special memories and maybe they're connecting with, with each other in a different way, like the multi-generational, really young to really old um, people in the waka and that the waka is this, it's a, it's a, the whole experience is a metaphor for life, right? We're stronger together in this double hulled waka that we have this collective power of strength and, and, what a great message that is, especially now in these times where we all really need to understand our interconnectedness with each other and how important it is to be really helping each other and working together. Uh, there's connections to place, right? They, they share a deeper understanding of place through their storytelling. This offers travelers a way to connect in a much deeper way than they would have. The Māori stories that they tell of the area, it offers a holistic experience. She spoke to that in terms of not just being a physical experience, but it's also a very spiritual and emotional experience as well. And then there's the level of connections between businesses. And this speaks to collaboration that we've been talking about as well, how important it is to do that now more than ever. And I loved how she talked about when Eliza from Good Travel first reached out to her and, yeah. and that understanding of we have, we truly have these shared values. And so how can we work together to support each other? It brings mutual benefit to both businesses. And when you have that shared value and purpose with other businesses, you know that the experience that your guests are going to have is are going to be so much more meaningful as well. So, um, and that that's her vision, right? For for New Zealand, that all businesses should be working in this way with with this purpose. Yeah, and it connects a lot to Eliza's episode where we talked about so, social entrepreneurship, and you can see why Waka Abel Tasman and Good Travel work so well together because of this shared, not only the shared values, but this sort of shared business model, this idea that money is important in, in doing business, but it doesn't have to be at the forefront and that it's about putting purpose and passion back at the center of how we do business. And I think that's really central to to everything that Leanne was saying. She talked a lot about manakitanga and she broke that down so beautifully for us about how manaki is about uplifting mana and mm. mana of the guests in the way that they are welcomed and uplifting uplifting them and the experience that they're having, but also Manaki for communities. So uplifting the communities through their interactions with the visitors that are that are coming. And we've we've talked about this a little bit before, right? Like with Nadine, we talked about what does Manaki Tanga look like for our own people uh, before That's we even right. think about showing Manaki Tanga to visitors, we need to start by showing Manaki to our own people. Mm. They talked about that. And then also in terms of the business model, this idea of Kaiti Akitanga being right at the center as well, the the care and and guardianship of people and environment. This is a big shift for for a lot of uh, businesses. So I think to see a model like this that is working and is being extremely resilient is really inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. And they're putting a lot of, not only the uh, the things we've talked about in terms of mutual exchange with visitors, they're putting a lot of money back into their community too. So it's definitely a successful business. She talked about that. And all those points you just said, Josie, are really about the interconnectedness they have with their community. 
right? And how important that is. It's an example of a living systems business or how a, how a business is part of this ecosystem of their community and how important that is now more than ever in this VUCA world that we've been talking about where the future is so uncertain. Uh, we're not going to go back to the way things were despite whether we, you know, whether we want to or whether we want it or not. Yeah. So it's more important now to be adaptable and resilient. We talked about this with Trent, right? And so when when Leanne talked about their business through COVID, they came out of it being able to offer more cultural education for kids and that people came to them and said, we want to take care of you. We want to make sure you're here after all of this, you know, when we get through all of this because they're so valued in their community. Yeah. You know, that speaks to the social license as well, that um, the community came to them and said, we want to look after you. And, and that's resilience right there. That's how they're sustainable and have longevity. And she talked about wanting, wishing for that for all businesses, wishing all businesses would operate this way. So it's something for us to think about each of us that have, has our own businesses you know, it's really important to think about all of these points and are we operating in this way? Mm. And especially given this, all this uncertainty, right? And that that uncertainty isn't, isn't going away. This is our last interview for the season. And I'm really glad that we've finished with Leanne because I think the way that she talked about her business gives such a beautiful summary of everything that we've talked about, like we've just, like we've just said. But we do want to do one more episode, which will be an extended harvest, like we've been doing at the end of each of these interviews. And the harvest will be about us reflecting on what we've learned, Debbie and I. And also we want to talk about some of the hope that's come through as a result of these conversations, because I think there's a lot of it. And you can see that in this Mm. interview with Leanne. So... This week, instead of an offering, we have an ask for you, which is that for our extended harvest, we would like to be able to include questions, ideas from our listeners, from, from all of you. So if you, if you have ideas that you'd like us to touch on in our last episode, we would really love to hear them. We'd like to hear questions you have as a result of listening to this podcast, things that are still unclear or that you'd like to us to dig deeper on or practical ideas or pieces of hope. We'd love to hear what you think you might do differently now moving forward. I think this is really useful because for you to share what you're thinking of doing so that someone else might hear that and it might give them inspiration for what they might do. And also just what's resonated with you throughout the season. We've asked you to consciously listen and to engage with what resonates with you. So we would love to hear some of those, some of those points that you have resonated with. So you can send these through to us in an email. You'll find our email addresses in the show notes. Or if you did want to record a short reflection of your own, we would love to receive an audio recording as well, which we could include in the episode. Yes, so please do let us know your thoughts, questions, and reflections. We really want to hear from you. And we will need to hear from you within the next week so we can include it in our extended harvest episode. We want to thank Leanne for joining us for our very last episode of season one of Good Awaits. It really was a privilege to have her on the podcast. And this conversation was really eye-opening for me 
Uh, I think it's expanded my thinking a lot. So really appreciative of her time. So thanks for listening to this episode of Good Awaits. We hope you've enjoyed it. And if it's resonated with you, uh, as we have said multiple times through these episodes, please get in touch with us. We are on a movement and we need you to join us. We are a volunteer team. And if you find value in what we're doing, please go to our Give a Little page. You'll see it in the show notes and help us on this journey. If you do want to get in touch with us, you can find us on our website, which is goodawaits.podbean.com. Or we're on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Good Awaits. And you can also find our email addresses in the show notes of this episode. Our episodes come out every Wednesday morning. So subscribe on your podcast app. And please, if you are on Apple Podcasts, rate and review us. As that helps us get found by others who want to join our movement. I want to say a huge thank you to our teams at both New Zealand Awaits and Good Travel for all of their support with this project. I want to say a special thank you to Erin Carnes from Good Travel for the graphic design and our beautiful logo and also to Clary Macklin for our music which we love and all the production help. And thanks also to you Debbie. We're still here and still loving it so thanks for everything. And back at you, Josie, as well. Everything you're doing to make this podcast a reality, I'm hugely appreciative for, especially your hours and hours of editing. So thanks again, listeners, for listening to Good Awakes. It's great to have you join us as we harvest the stories of our regenerative tourism journey in New Zealand. <laughs>